this time, Missionary McKinley will come up and preach for us. You've met him. Now I trust that you will listen intently as he brings to us the Word of God. Well, thank you once again uh, for having us this morning. I'd like to bring a message out of John chapter 9. So if you have your Bible, please turn to John chapter 9. And the message that I have is uh, one that God has been uh, speaking to me about and working in my heart about. And I share it with you today because uh, this is what God has laid on my heart. So um, it's a a message that I think uh, we all need to hear from time to time. And uh, the story here from John 9 is uh, the account of Jesus healing the blind man, a man who who was blind from his birth. It was a great miracle. Let's read there in John chapter 9. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. There's a lot going on here in this account in John. I just want to point out two simple things, and that's the indifference of the disciples to the plight of this blind man and the urgency and the purpose of Jesus Christ in healing him and giving him new life. Uh, In John chapter 8, Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world. He was arguing or debating with the Pharisees who were opposing him, and uh, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And now we get here to John chapter 9, and Jesus backs up that claim by demonstrating through his works that he truly is the light of the world. And he, gave, he did this great miracle to show that he is the light of the world. Uh, he opened this blind man's eyes. Uh, he not only opened his eyes physically, he opened his eyes spiritually. He opened his eyes to the light of the gospel, and that's what we see here in this chapter. And I think that... Uh, Uh, we here, uh, by and large, have had our eyes open by the light of the gospel. But in certain ways, we are all blinded uh, to certain truths of God through ignorance of God's word or lack of understanding or lack of seeking after God and getting into his word. And God wants to open our eyes through the light of his word. And I think he has a message here for us this morning. Um, we learn not only something about the lost Pharisees, but something about the disciples. And we see this great contrast, the indifference of the disciples and the purpose and the urgency of Jesus. First, the indifference. Look there in verse 1. As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. 
And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In this stage of Jesus' ministry, he was in his public ministry. He was going about doing good works, doing great miracles, and pointing to who he was and pointing to the Father. These great miracles of Jesus were signposts uh, demonstrating who Jesus was. And uh, this probably took place outside of the temple. In chapter 8, Jesus was leaving with his disciples leaving the temple, and you can just imagine as he was walking along, there are great crowds, and they look over by the side of the road, and they see this man who is blind. And in that day, the thought was that uh, a man's blindness, or perhaps his leprosy, his, uh, his disease or his illness was caused by sin. And this particular man, uh, he was blind from birth. And so it created a particular problem. Uh, Obviously, the man got what was coming to him. Uh, He was blind because of sin. The real question was, whose sin was it? Was it his? Did he sin in his prenatal state? Did he sin somehow before he was born? Was it his mother's sin? And this is what the disciples are thinking about as they see this man. You know, here comes Jesus, and he takes note of this man, this beggar. And uh, he sees a need. And the disciples following after him, they look at him, and what do they see? Here's a beggar. And here's a chance to pick the mind of the master and to solve a theological conundrum that rabbis and the Pharisees had been arguing out for probably, arguing about for centuries. Uh, Because in the Old Testament, in Exodus 20, verse 5, in Numbers 14, 18, in Deuteronomy 5, 9, several passages there, we read about that God will visit the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and the fourth generation of those who hate him. And uh, so it was a great uh, theological question. And the disciples were concerned about that. Here was their chance to solve this problem that they had been wondering about, and without any regard for this man's blindness, his physical state, his spiritual state. Uh, In those days, uh, a blind man, you know, he could not see, he could not do anything for himself. He was simply a beggar, and he would have to sit by a, a busy road or someplace where people would be passing by, And he would hope that wealthy people would come passing by and take compassion on him and in charity give him some money. And it was a hand-to-mouth existence. In fact, a lot of people thought uh, there was no, uh, it, it it wasn't even a life worth living. That's how highly they regarded uh, the beggar by the side of the road. It, It was a life that wasn't even worth living. Uh, just the fact that he would just exist to beg and eat, and that was it. Could not contribute to society. And so they looked on him uh, with contempt. And the disciples were a product of their culture. The Pharisees of that day, uh, they were content to live in their religious uh, culture. And they were the religious elite. And they looked down on people who were not as religious as they were, 
who were not following the doctrines of men that they had set up, who were not following their perceived uh, law of God. And you may know that the, uh, uh, the Pharisees uh, really uh, despised uh, the sinners and the publicans. Think of the parable of the, uh, uh, of the um, prodigal son. Uh, the, uh, the, the sinners and the beggars. Uh, the Pharisees were not a missionary culture. They did not desire to go out and reach those people for the kingdom of God. Uh, they shunned them, and they held them at arm's length. And here comes the disciples of Jesus, uh, and they are followers of Jesus. And they still have this pharisaical mindset that when they see a blind man, they don't look on him as someone who needs help. Uh, they look on him and he's just someone to debate about. And Jesus, through this, is trying to change their thinking. He wants to lift their eyes up off of themselves and off of their own curiosities. And uh, he wants them to look out and see the need of the people. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus is trying to teach us through this passage. To look up and to see the need of the people. So the Pharisees didn't like him. Uh, as we, as we um, read later on in the chapter, we find out that this own man's neighbors did not refer to him by his own name. They referred to him as the beggar. His neighbors weren't necessarily mean to him, uh, but they didn't uh, care for him. And I think uh, we sometimes, um, in relating this to us, have a lofty, an attitude of lofty indifference toward the lost. Uh, we see blind men out in the marketplace. We see blind men across the street from us. And when we go about uh, our business and doing the things that we do, we run into blind people. And it's easy for us as Christians, as believers, to have a lofty indifference and to have the attitude that I am better than they are. And in fact, that they're in that state because of their sin. Uh, I think uh, we can have a righteous indignation. We can look at their sin and be angry about their sin. And there's place for that. But never really see the spiritual need that's there. Uh, we can have a distant piousness, a high-mindedness. And the attitude that uh, that's too bad that they are the way they are. And uh, it's terrible, in fact. You know, when we see somebody with a drug problem or somebody with some gross sin, we say, boy, it's too bad. Well, it's their own fault. And we fall into the error of the disciples here in John chapter 9, and we fail to see the true need. Uh, I had this happen to me recently. My brother-in-law is lying on his deathbed right now. Um, he's uh, in an induced coma because of probably alcohol and drugs, overdosing. And uh, when I was hearing that news, uh, outwardly I said, boy, that's terrible, it's too bad. And inwardly I'm thinking, it's his own fault. When in reality, that man needs Jesus Christ. And uh, the disciples here were concerned about a theological position, um, a theological question to be answered. 
And I think that we can fall into that error too. Think of the, uh, the theological question of Calvinism versus Arminianism uh, that's popular today to debate about. And we could debate about those things and try to uh, explain and to understand the minutia of the gospel and how the Holy Spirit works in hearts so we can debate about that and get all wrapped up in that and be totally unconcerned about the actual spiritual work of God in the hearts of the lost. And uh, there's the theological debate today with atheists about the existence of evil and the Christians trying to respond and, and to try to explain the, the existence of evil uh, along with uh, the sovereign God that we served. And we can get all wrapped up about that in that and trying to explain it <clears throat> and have our heads wrapped around it and never truly be concerned about the spiritual state of people. Um, I think it's possible, and uh, I think uh, Pastor alluded to it again in the Sunday school hour here, to be isolated in the Christian church. We can kind of get wrapped up in a bubble, especially in fundamentalism, I think. Kids in, in uh, homeschool or Christian school uh, coming to church every time the doors are open and never really interacting with the lost. Uh, never quite getting out into the world. You know, in John chapter 17, Jesus prayed his prayer to the Father uh, just before he went to the cross, and he prayed that uh, his disciples would be in the world, but not of the world. And I think oftentimes for Baptists or fundamentalists, it's possible to be in the world, or excuse me, to not be in the world or of the world, to be totally isolated. And I think that Jesus wants us to be out in the marketplace seeing the needs of people. He wants us to look out and by the wayside see the blind man and to take compassion on him. You know, it's possible also to be in the world and of the world. Uh, it's possible to be so worldly that we cannot see the needs of people. Um, in in 1 Corinthians, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church. Uh, the Corinthian church was in a city, the city of Corinth, that was a sinful, wicked city. And they were dealing with a lot of, of gross sins in that city, and some of that had crept into the church. And they were so worldly that Paul had to upbraid them and to admonish them to not reproach the name of Christ, not to not bring shame on the name of Christ through their actions. And I think that when we're so wrapped up in the here and now, when we have our eyes on things below, we don't have the capacity to look up and see eternal things and to see spiritual things and to see the things, uh, to see the need, the spiritual need that's out there. It's possible to be a mature saint and to be in the church, to have been in the church for 20 years and to be perfectly comfortable in the church and to sit here and say, isn't it wonderful to be in church? Uh, isn't God wonderful? <clears throat> and to be completely satisfied and to never see the need of the lost. And we could go on and on and come up with a list, <clears throat> but I think... At the heart of the matter, it's we have a cold heart toward God when we're indifferent to the plight of the lost. 
And I think that's possible for all of us from time to time to become cold-hearted. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it may not be on purpose. Uh, you know, it's the natural man that opposes the things of God. And when we see someone and we're prompted to speak to someone, it's quite natural for us to resist that uh, and to not want to follow the Spirit of God. And uh, it's because we're not yielded to the Spirit and we're not in tune with what God is wanting to do. The disciples were indifferent to the need of the lost. In stark contrast to that, we see the purpose and the urgency of Jesus Christ. Look in verse 3. Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Uh, the, the, the disciples were walking along, and from their standpoint, uh, they just happened along uh, this blind man and happened to see him sitting over there. From their standpoint, it was a chance encounter. Uh, from, Jesus enca- uh, from Jesus' standpoint, uh, it was a divine encounter. And Jesus knew that that man was there, and in fact, he was there at that precise moment for a purpose that the works of God should be manifest in him. Jesus had a purpose in meeting that man. In reality, it was a divine encounter. And Jesus saw a need. The man was blind. Jesus stated his purpose several times in the New Testament. In Luke 14, verses 17 through 19, you remember Jesus was in the temple and he read from the scroll Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And and it says there that there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, Jesus came to earth with a purpose. The disciples following Jesus, who knows what their purpose was? They may not have had much purpose. They, by chance, saw this blind man, did not see his spiritual or physical need. Here came Jesus. His purpose on earth was to open the eyes of the blind saw great opportunity when he came upon this blind man. And we have to ask ourselves, how many divine encounters do we come across? You know, I think that we come across more than we're aware of. I think that God puts people in our lives. You know, we have the light of the gospel, and we have opportunity to tell that to people. And God brings people into our lives for the express purpose that we may share the light of the gospel with them. And I wonder if we recognize it. I know many times um, I have not recognized it in my own life. Uh, Jesus is our example. If we want to see the spiritual need of people, Jesus is our example. Didn't he see us when we were blind beggars here on earth? Weren't we all born blind 
as beggars and sitting there with our beggarly clothes on and not being able to see and holding our hand out, not being able to do anything for ourselves and holding our hand out, waiting for the master to come along and open our eyes that we may see. Uh, we were blind from birth. God looked down and he saw us as blind beggars. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Psalm 14. Jesus looked down and he saw our spiritual need. He looked down and he saw the world in darkness opposing Christ. Turn quickly over to John chapter 1. And this is probably a quite familiar passage to all of us, but uh, look briefly there at John chapter 1 and look in verse 4. Uh, this, of course, is speaking of Jesus and his purpose for coming to earth. In verse 4 it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. He came down to earth, the light of the world. He came to earth, and all of us were blind beggars. And if you don't have the light of the gospel this morning, you are yet blind and cannot see. And Jesus came to earth and brought the light, and the darkness comprehended it not. And in verse verse 9, that was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. The darkness, the blindness, opposes the light. But Jesus saw a need, and he came down. He was incarnated, and he came down to walk among us. He essentially threw off the... The robes. Imagine the Pharisees, you know, throwing off the long robes that they were so proud of that they liked to walk around and to throw those off and to don the clothes of the beggar and to sit down right there next to the beggar and to beg. And that's what Jesus did when he came down to earth. Um, a holy God, a thrice holy God coming down to walk among the subjects of his very wrath. And that's what God did. He saw our need. He came down to meet our need. And the motivation for the work of Christ in coming to earth was love. He loves us. And he had compassion on us. Uh, Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus, out of love, and compassion became a beggar to come to earth and save us from our blind state. Um, In Matthew 9.36, it says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. You can imagine Jesus and the compassion that he had for lost people. And Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He held out his arms and wept over Jerusalem because they opposed him. 
And in great contrast to our own apathy and indifference to the lost state of those around us, we see that Jesus was deeply moved with love and compassion. And Jesus wept over Lazarus, or excuse me, leapt, wept when Lazarus died. He wasn't weeping for Lazarus because he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He was weeping at the unbelief of those around him and of those who did not believe. And we have to ask ourselves, do we have the compassion that Jesus has? Do we have the love? Are we moved when we look out and see the blind beggars? Are we moved as Jesus is moved? And I think we all have to answer no, we're not. Uh, Jesus is our standard. He's our example. But we don't live up to that. And that should be our prayer as missionaries, as disciples of Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ. Our prayer should be, Lord, give me eyes to see the need that's out there. Give me eyes to see as you see. And when was the last time we wept over the state of the lost? Jesus wept over Jerusalem. When have we wept over the city of Buffalo or Cottage Grove where Brandy and I live? When have we been so moved that we wept and cried out to God, Lord, open eyes and do a great spiritual work here? It's possible to go on visitation and to go door knocking and to see need. Uh, but not to truly have the concern and the compassion of Jesus Christ. Uh, about a month ago, it was Mother's Day, and uh, uh, the day before that, on Saturday, I went door knocking with a, a pastor in the Twin Cities area, uh, and it was a stronghold of Catholicism here in Minnesota. And I hooked up with him because we had a meeting in his church, and he was telling me about witnessing the Catholics, and I said, I need to learn to witness the Catholics. And uh, so we hooked up on a Saturday before Mother's Day and uh, went out and were able to have great conversations with a Catholic and a couple of Lutherans. And I came home excited, told my wife I was excited and I wanted to get out and talk to Catholics and meet Catholics. Well, the next day we were down in Red Wing for Mother's Day and uh, where my parents live and uh, we were in a park and the kids were running around. There were a whole bunch of kids there, a bunch of people running around and playing. And I spotted a family there. And they had several kids, and they just stood out. First of all, because all the girls were wearing skirts, which uh, in our day and age looks very unusual. So they stuck out like sore thumbs. And they just looked like the whole school type. And I thought, you know, I need to go strike up a conversation with these people. They look like Christians. And... Uh, and uh, I'm not the type of person that typically likes to go up and strike up conversations with strangers. Uh, that's not my personality. But God is working on me in that area. And I just felt compelled. I think it was the work of the Holy Spirit. Go up and talk to those people. So I went up and, and managed to strike up a conversation and uh, got to talking. Oh, you homeschool. We homeschool too. And this and that. And I said, so I take it you're Christians. And they said, we're Catholic. They had five children, and they said, we're Catholic. And boy, that took me by surprise. And you know what my first reaction was when they said that? It was, oh, great Catholic. 
I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking internally. This was the day after I was expressing my interest to meet Catholics. And my first reaction in meeting these people was, oh, great. I was thinking, at first I was thinking, we're going to have a kindred spirit with these people and be able to share um, spiritually. And then I thought, Catholic, there's going to be friction here. This isn't going to work out the way I thought. And it was a very short conversation. And uh, at the very end, I, they asked me, you know, what do you do? And I told them we're actually going into missions, and we're going over to Ireland uh, as missionaries. And, of course, Ireland, being very Catholic, had to explain to these Catholic people why we're going to Ireland as missionaries. And I just left them with, we have a website if you want to read a little bit more about what we're doing. It's the McKinleys.org. Feel free to go and, and visit that. And uh, walked away, and uh, later was talking to Brandy, and said, you know, I met this Catholic pe- uh, couple, or this Catholic family, and I feel like I should have said something to them. It was a short conversation. What could I have said in that short amount of time? And then the Holy Spirit struck me, and, I mean, just came down on me with a weight and said, you should have witnessed to them, and you know I didn't. And I was ashamed of myself. And that was really the birth of this message from John chapter 9. And I said, I'm supposed to be a missionary. And uh, I was excited to witness to Catholics. And these people came from uh, left field. And I wasn't expecting it. And you know, the problem was I did not have the gospel on my lips. Uh, I wasn't in the right state of mind to quickly speak the gospel And that is my prayer. God, make me ready at the drop of a hat, at at a moment's notice, to give out the gospel, because that was a divine encounter that I did not take advantage of. Uh, But God is good. As it turns out, those people did actually look at our website, ended up contacting us, and we've been in touch by email to get together with them in Red Wing next Saturday. And For some reason, I think God wants us to interact with that Catholic family. But it's opened my eyes to the fact that we have these divine encounters all the time. You know, these people that God brings across our path and we're blinded to the need. We have the mindset of the disciples and we don't see the spiritual need. We don't have the compassion of Jesus Christ. And I think... God wants us to wake up to those things uh, and to see the need. Jesus not only worked with purpose, he worked with urgency. Look there in verse 4. He said, Jesus' response says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And this is a very interesting response. In verse 3, Jesus says the disciples had it wrong. The two uh, options that the disciples presented to Jesus were wrong. Uh, It was not the man's sin that caused his blindness. He was blind so that or for the opportunity of God to do a great work in this man's life. Um, And not only that, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Whose work is it that is being manifest? says there in verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me. This is the work of the Father, the work that God is doing in the hearts of people. And what is the work? 
Uh, it's the spiritual work that culminated on the cross. Jesus cried out in John 19, verse 30, and said, It is finished. The work of the Father, the work that God had sent Him to do, was finished on the cross. But at this time, Jesus said, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Jesus struck a note of urgency. The disciples were opposing Jesus. Uh, In the previous chapter, they, they told Jesus, now we know that you have a devil. There was growing opposition to the ministry of Jesus, and time was short. If you think about it, Jesus had a short three years to introduce the kingdom of God to the the Jewish people and uh, to prepare the disciples for the church age. He had three years and not much time, and he's going along with the disciples, and they could care less about the blind man, and Jesus is compelled with urgency to perform a great work He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. Uh, In John 12, 35, he said, Yet a little while is the light with you. Note the word there in verse 4, must. I must work the works of him that sent me. Jesus was compelled He had a compulsion to work the works of the Father. It wasn't optional. Um, He said, I must work the works of him that sent me. Wasn't the need of the blind man a must kind of need? If the man was blind from his birth, was it optional for Jesus to do a miracle on that man? No. Uh, Do you think that that blind man sitting there was probably thrilled to hear Jesus say, I must do this work? It was a must kind of need. And the people that we minister to, the blind people around us, have a must kind of need. They must have a miracle of God. And Jesus came to do that work in Mark 1:15 Jesus said <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> In Mark 1:15 Jesus said the time is fulfilled the kingdom of God is at hand repent ye and believe the gospel Jesus was urgently preaching repentance the kingdom of God is at hand it's here it's ready to be established now is the time today is the day of repentance In Matthew 4 17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of God of heaven is at hand. The night that was coming, you know, Jesus came as light. The night that was coming was when Jesus would be taken away from the earth, when he would die on the cross and then ascend into heaven. The light would no longer be here on earth. And he said, the night is coming when I will no longer be able to perform this work. And Jesus as light, what does light do? It exposes things. 
And what did Jesus mean when he said, I am the light of the world? Jesus was the revealer of the work that God is doing. What is the work that God is doing? It's to bring life uh, to the lost, to the dead, to bring sight to the blind. And Jesus was the revealer. He came to reveal God to mankind. And he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Again, yet a little while is the light with you. While you have the light, believe in the light. Do you know that if Jesus had passed by, it would have been a missed opportunity to demonstrate the work of God. Uh, not only in that man's life, but to the Pharisees and to all of us who read it today. It would have been a missed opportunity. Uh, Jesus was compelled to be the light and to uh, God gives us these divine encounters and and the question is, do we see them with the urgency and the purpose of Jesus? There was a rabbi by the name of Rabbi Tarfon, an insightful rabbi. He said, the day is short. And the task is great, and the labors are idle, and the wage is abundant, and the master of the house is urgent. Doesn't that sum up missions work? Uh, doesn't that sum up our? Uh, doesn't that sum up the great commission for the church? The labors are few, and the need is great, and the master of the house is urgent. He's urging us to look out and see the need. You know, I think that God is going to hold us accountable for missed opportunities. When God brings these divine encounters across our paths and when we don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit and present the gospel when he's urging us, I think he's going to in some way hold us accountable through missed blessings, through fewer uh, divine encounters, and through the missed opportunity to see the work of God. Isn't it great when someone is saved in our midst? Doesn't that strengthen our faith and build up our faith uh, to see um, the work of God? Uh, we have been given a command, and uh, Jesus said, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. In Matthew five fourteen through 16, 16, he said, ye are the light of the world. You know, Jesus left as the light, and now he tells us, ye are the light of the world. We are to be the revealer of God to a lost people. We are to be the instruments that God uses to open the eyes of the blind. And he says, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus said he must work while it is day. And you know that there is coming a time when missions work will end. <clears throat> when the opportunity to pray for missionaries and to give to missions and when the opportunity to go out into the community right here and to walk across the street and to talk to your neighbors and the opportunity to be light and salt when that opportunity is gone, 
I think Jesus wants us to understand that the time is short and the need is urgent. The uh, county that we'll be going to initially in Ireland is called County Westmeath. And this, the town that we'll be in is the town of Mullingar. And that particular county has the highest rate of suicide in all of Ireland per capita. And in Ireland, depression is a problem. And people are depressed. They don't know God. They commit suicide. They fall into substance abuse. And below the veneer of everything that you think of when you think Ireland, below that is a spiritual darkness and a people who need Christ. And the need there is urgent as it is here. Um, I'll end with this, verses 6 through 7. Jesus performed a miracle. He spoke, he spat on the ground, made clay, put it on the eyes of the man, and told him to go and wash. And that is a picture of salvation. Blind men need to go and wash and be cleansed. And that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Um,